0: Welcome to a podcast from Alive Church in Newark. We believe that the gospel changes lives. So we hope you're ready to hear from God, be challenged and inspired. Here's our speaker for today. We are in the run-up to our Make a Difference offering. And if you are new to Alive or unfamiliar with Make a Difference, we have two big offerings every year. The first is around kind of April time, we call it our Rise and Build offering. Um, And it's basically our kind of bricks and mortar offering. It goes towards the the important kind of things that we need just to make church work. So that may be a a building project, it may be the technology that you see to make things run. And then our second big offering is make a difference. And this is focused on partnering with, with various different organizations locally, nationally and internationally to make a difference. And so there are two kind of main organisations that we partner with. The first is uh, Battelle. We're the, they're the ones we partner with on a, a national level. And if you know anything about Patel, you'll know that they do an incredible work with those that are struggling with really hopeless situations. Uh, people that are homeless or, or uh, unemployed or struggle with alcohol or, or drug abuse. And, and bring these people into a, a kind of a new fresh start, kind of cleaning the slate and getting them kind of back on the right path, so to speak. And then the other organization that we work with is an organization called Tier Fund, who we partner with in Ethiopia. And we're going to look a little bit at them later on. But so we're looking at over the next two, different, next two weeks, how do we make a difference? How do we make a difference uh, to the world around us? And so before we unpack what I felt to bring today... We're going to have a look at a little video by a group called The Bible Project, and there'll be a number of you that are very excited. We love The Bible Project here, and The Bible Project are a Christian animation studio, and they take kind of biblical principles, biblical ideas, and explain them in very kind of beautiful but very easy to understand ways. And so the video we're going to play, I love the imagery that they use, and I'm going to steal a little bit of the imagery they've got. So if you'd like to turn your eyes to the screen, we'll play the video.
1: Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host, and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but... It's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources rather the problem is our mindset that god can't be trusted maybe god's holding out on me maybe there isn't enough and maybe i need to take matters into my own hands and once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else and that leads to envy anger violence and a world where it seems like there's not enough the party's over It's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance, and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs, and like there's not enough, and it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus the host himself comes to join in on the spoil party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously. Even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story. One that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is going to go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty might become rich and jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun yes he called it the kingdom of god and our invitation to this party is yet another gift the personal presence of god's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host just like jesus did And when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host.
0: We're going to look at this this idea that we're part of a a party, that we're on this earth, we're in this party, and we've got this brilliant host, this God who has got abundant resources that he wants to share with us. But somewhere along the lines, humanity decided to do things on its own. And so this trust that God will provide was broken. And so we get some groups that have hoarded everything to themselves and, and hidden away, and other groups that feel like they've not got enough. And so God's calling us to make our way round this party and spread the truth that we have a host of God that is abundantly generous. And this is how we make a difference in the communities that we live in. So let's unpack what that looks like. The passage we're going to be looking at today is from John 6. It's a familiar story for, for many who know their Bible. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And what's interesting is this is the only miracle we see Jesus do that's written of, in all four Gospels. See, in our, our Bible, we have uh, four different kind of tellings of the life of Jesus, four different perspectives of, of, of what he did. And yet this miracle is the only one that appears in all four. So it's clearly an important one to the, the people writing at the time. So we're going to read from John 6.1. Unfortunately, my Bible's not as pretty as Dom's, which I'm a little bit sad about. We'll work on that. <laughs> So starting off in verse one, it says this, "Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountain and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, "Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat?" He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And as the people saw that the sign Jesus had performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And so we have this, this story where Jesus is, is doing his thing, he's preaching, he's healing people, and he sees this huge crowd of people start to come towards him. And he recognizes these people, they're going to start getting hungry. And so already knowing what he's going to do, he starts to ask his, dis- his disciples to see what their point, uh, their kind of thinking what they think they should do. And they're like, well, there's nothing we can do. Look at all these people. We can't afford to feed them. And then a small boy steps forward with his lunchbox and says, well, I haven't got much, but I've got this. And Jesus takes this this small amount and manages to multiply it, so it feeds thousands. So what does this have to do with us? What can we learn from this? Well, the first thing that we notice is the need. See, we can't kind of help people we can't solve their problems for them if we don't know what the need is thinking back to the party if there's someone at the party that's thirsty if we brought them a load of salty crisps that's not going to solve the problem and so we need to identify what the need is and what i love about this story is jesus sees the need well before it's even a need in in john's version of events we see jesus seeing the crowd at a distance and going oh these guys are going to be hungry." And so he's identifying the need well in advance. Now, Alive, we have quite a a broad view of of poverty, of need. And we believe that's because it's a it's a complex issue. It's not a simple case of we'll just throw a little bit of money at the problem and it'll be solved. There's still a lot of brokenness that's involved. And so we look at need and poverty in, in four different relationships. We have our relationship with God our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with others, and then finally our relationship with creation. And each one of these can neither be broken or have poverty in them that affects how we live our lives. And so understanding them and understanding how they work is an essential part of, of beginning to identify and meet other people's needs. And so the first one is our relationship with God. And this is the primary one. Right? This is the one that all of the other three kind of flow out of. And if someone has poverty in this area of their lives, it means that the, the relationship with God is, is broken. That for some people, it may be that they don't believe he exists. It may be that they believe he exists, but they don't really trust him. They don't, say, uh, they don't see him as someone who can provide for them. Or maybe they doubt whether he, he loves them. There are some people that have this idea of God that he's just there to punish them, that he's just kind of waiting around the corner, waiting for you to do something wrong before he can strike you down. And these are all lies and ideas that can flow out of a broken relationship with God. And they're not true. The Bible says that he he created us to have a relationship with. He sent his son to die to restore that relationship with us. We can trust him that he will provide for us. He's not wanting to punish us, because as far as he's considered, for the death of Christ, we are clean. And so when someone has a broken relationship with God, it can affect these different areas. And what they need is just to have someone to bring them back and give them a true sense of who God is and their relationship with that God. The next relationship with God is the relationship with ourselves. And this is a, a relationship that's bound to identity and, and value. See, if you've got a, a poor relationship with yourself, if there's poverty there, your identity is not firm. You're either unsure of who you are, or you start to base your identity in the wrong things. You start to, to find who you are in stuff that actually probably isn't that helpful to you. We also see people's self worth, their idea of kind of intrinsic value, start to drop when there, there is poverty here. And what happens? In these situations, as people start to allow things into their lives that they wouldn't normally do because they don't kind of feel they deserve any better. So this might be unhealthy relationships. This might be the use of uh, of crutches to get by, like alcohol abuse or addiction. And so in this area, we start to see kind of fairly common problems. They're actually just covering up a deeper issue of people having poverty in their sense of identity and relationship with themselves. And see, the Bible says we are made in the image of God, that we have intrinsic value because the, the God himself came down to earth and died to pay for you, to repurchase you back. You have immense value. Yeah. And so people that have poverty in this area need a, a reaffirmation of who they are, of the, the purpose that they've been called to, of why they've been made, the value that they have. Then we have poverty in relationships with others, and this can be a a particularly painful area. Uh, Many of us have experienced a a breakdown in relationships with family, with friends, and the damage that this can do to our lives. And so that was never the way it was intended to be. We were made to be a—humanity was made to be a new family. As Christians, we're called uh, brothers and sisters in Christ— God called us to, to love one another. And Jesus said that we are to be known by how we love one another. And so in these areas, we just need to be, I believe, just taught how to do relationships with one another. Because we're often not, there's no kind of program at school. This is how you do relationships. This is how you make friends. When I think about this area, I've got a, a friend, a great guy but kind of struggled in this area of relationships. Didn't come from a great kind of home life. And so never really learned how to do relationships with other people, how to manage himself in that. And it affected kind of every area of his life. He would get a job, and uh, when he was at work, you'd have your, your kind of standard level of, of work banter, shall we say. And, uh, or you'd have his boss kind of saying, maybe we don't do it like this, we do it like this. But because he'd never learned how to do relationships, he just saw this as a personal attack. He couldn't process what was going on. And so he'd lash out and ultimately end up getting fired. And so he'd be unemployed for nine months, and then he'd find a new job. But the cycle would just repeat. So this is maybe a more clear example of how kind of poverty in the way we see it can actually come from a deeper level of broken relationships. And then finally, we have our relationship with nature. And this came from uh, right in the beginning when Jesus made Adam and Eve and he made them uh, stewards of the earth, which meant that he kind of set them aside to work hard to, to care for the earth to, to spread the garden that they were, they were kind of made in made to prepare and this was involved kind of managing their resources, managing their time and so for some people they need to be taught these areas there's a brokenness in this area Maybe they don't see the value of work or they're just not very good at managing their money, spending it on things that they don't need. But we also know of plenty of people that have this broken relationship with creation, shall we say, struggling financially, not because of any fault of their own, but just because of the way things are. <clears throat> Those months where everything breaks at the same time and you're struggling kind of strapped for cash. And so in these areas, what people need is, is, is training on the importance of work and, and how to manage your money. And I think of uh, Christians Against Poverty and the, the work they do with their job clubs and their money courses. But for others, it may just be a simple case of just they need a bit of a financial step up. We're called to, to spread the, the generosity that, that God has, has blessed us with. And so for some people, it's as simple as just providing them as they go through this season. And so we've got these four different relationships. And the reason we like using these relationships is because it gives us a much more holistic view of poverty. As I said, as we, it's not a case of just meeting one area and then leaving. It's dealing with all of these different issues. But then the question comes, how do we meet these needs now that we've identified them? And in the story of the feeding of the 5,000, we see this most kind of clearly with the little boy. See, when, once Jesus had identified the need, he turned to his disciples and said, right, what are we going to do about this? But all of his disciples could do was focus on the need itself. Lord, this is way too much. It would take a, half a year's wage just to give everyone a little bite, and there's no one, nowhere around to even buy this kind of food. And yet there was a small boy that was just recognizing, look, I've not got much, but I've got a little. And he was willing to bring this. Going back to our image of our part of a party, you can imagine it like Jesus is handing out plates of food, you know, for us to go round and start sharing round. And you go to hand out your plate, and you realise that you've just got three of those little pizza bites on your plate, and you think, "Well, this isn't much. I mean, if I give this out, it's not going to feed anyone, and I'm going to go hungry." But the problem is, this kind of thinking is easy it is to fall into. It's the exact kind of thinking that broke the party to begin with. This idea that we can't trust that God is going to provide for us. And the reality is that if we're to give out the small amount that we have got, we can just go back to God with our empty plate, and he's going to swap it round with a nice full plate full of food. And that's what we're called to do, to, to trust the little that we've got and offer it. Now, in the context of a a make-a-difference offering, we're thinking financially because it's a financial offering. But this applies to lots of different areas. This applies to our time. We can offer our time, whether that's serving in church or visiting a a friend and offering a a listening ear or serving elsewhere in the community. Or it can be our, our talents, whether that's baking a cake or knitting some hats for some friends. We've all got something that we can bring, even if it may seem small to us. And the Bible says two different things. It says this, that we are not to despise small beginnings. And those that are faithful with little will be given much. And this is how it plays out. That First of all, the little that we have, we're not meant to discredit. We're not meant to discount. Because that little that we do have has been given to us by God. And so we're not to despise that. But also, as we're faithful with that, as we go, okay, God, I'm going to give, I'm going to serve with just the little that I do have. I'm going to trust you're going to provide for me. And he will then begin to give you more because he knows I can trust this person. They're going to be useful to me. And so as you begin to see needs around you, bring the little that you have. Don't worry about the rest. God's got the rest. (laughs) And see the incredible things that can begin to be done. The next thing we see in this story is this issue of a a saviour. See, I don't know about you, but when it comes to needs, I can very easily just jump in and try and be the saviour for that need. I'm just going to go around fixing the problems, bish, bash, bash, job done, I'm great, you're sorted, love and life. <laughs> Often it's not that simple. And what's interesting is, as we all kind of know when we think about it logically, there's only one saviour, and his name's Jesus. And when we look at this story... Jesus knew from the beginning what he was going to do. It says that. He had it right. This is what I'm going to do. But what he did was he invited his disciples in to be part of the solution. And so that's what he calls us to do. Look, I'm not calling you to be a savior. I'm just calling you to be part of the solution. And so that's what we're meant to do. And I've noticed this most recently. I've talked about this in in similar ways previously. But in the kind of, I say line of work, line of study, shall I say, that I do, um, people often come up to me with their, kind of, their relationship breakdowns, be that, whatever. And so they'll say, so-and-so has hurt me, or they've upset me, or they've frustrated me, blah, blah, blah. blah. And what I used to do was jump into saviour mode. No problem. I'm going to go in, I'm going to tell people what to do. You need to stop doing this, you need to stop doing that. Bish, bash, bosh. Jobs good <laughs> Nine times out of 10, it wasn't. Nine times out of 10, I kind of went away feeling beaten up. I'd made the problem 10 times worse. And the relationships there that are still broken. And so I came away and I was like, God, this clearly isn't working. What am I doing wrong? What's a better way of doing things? And so I kind of took off this knight in shining armor, this savior complex, and put it to one side. And as people started continuing to bring their problems to me, I'd step back and go, okay, okay. What are some solutions we can bring? And so I started just offering solutions. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And then equipping people and and training people and encouraging people to to run with that, to not need me to to fix them, but to to empower them to meet their own needs. And little by little, we're starting to see some progress. And what I love is this is an example that we see um, with our partnership with Tier Fund. That out in Ethiopia, we're doing some great work out there, but we're not trying to be a saviour to these people. We're just trying to provide solutions. And so we're just going to watch a quick video explaining the work that's done in Ethiopia.
2: difference, we are honoured to be partnering with Tierfund and the local church here in Ethiopia to empower communities to raise themselves out of poverty through self-help groups. The Ethiopian Kalehaywet Church is the largest evangelical denomination here in Ethiopia, with over 8,000 local churches with 8 million members.
1: Our vision as EKHC is showing love of God in action for the community. Self-help group are made up of 15 to 20 members weekly meeting and the meeting they save money they have agendas to discuss especially the social issues political issues and uh, especially the challenges they have
2: They meet in a church, they discuss local issues, but they also save together so that when somebody has a need or someone wants to start a business, they can borrow that money from the group rather than having to go to a local loan shark with extortionate interest. This way, they are empowering themselves and lifting themselves out of poverty. It has been amazing for us to travel and visit some of these self-help groups. We went to yoga where we heard firsthand how self-help groups have helped both individuals and communities to transform their lives.
3: My name is Sahai Filipos. I'm married and I have two children. Before I joined the self help group, when I was giving birth to my first child, I was very sick and I had to stay at Hirgalem Hospital for four days. I could not find money to pay for the hospital, so I suffered a lot. My family had to go and ask for money from the loan shark. After I finished the medical treatment, it was very difficult for us to pay him back with the interest, so we had to sell part of our land to give him back the money. On top of that, we always faced the problem on the food nutrition that we take. It was only after I joined the self-help group that I could provide a balanced diet for my children. After I took 200 per loan, I started my better sailing business and got 700 per profits. The second loan was 1,000 per. With the 1,700 per, I bought a cow. I was able to construct an iron-sheeted house and start the process of changing my life. The self-help group has helped me and my family to be independent. I was always expecting someone to come and help me. Because now I'm capable of helping others. We have seen
1: holistic transformations through self help group approach. One is self confidence, personal development. People are able to speak in public, they are confident, they are able to express their views and they have more skills and knowledge we have seen also social development people love each other they respect each other there is trust mutual understanding respect taking care of one another people who had nothing have now something to change their households to change and to transform also their community we have seen also spiritual transformation as a result of certain group many people have come to face they were able to see, really, Christ self-help group.
3: Being a member of a self-help group helped me to be spiritually strong. One way is that I can share my love with others. It also gave me an opportunity every week we get to pray and read the word of God. I want to see my family grow economically, spiritually, and develop socially as well. I also want to be a role model as a member of a self-help group. I want to be a role model for my community. And this is my hope for the future
2: not only do people meet in self-help groups but the self-help groups come together in clusters where they actually identify some of the bigger needs of their communities one of these clusters has identified the the thing that they need is good education for their children and so they've done it they've built this incredible school to give their own kids the best education
1: we are organized together with those local churches than 17,000 self help groups, 917 cluster level associations, and seven federations in Ethiopia. And we addressed direct beneficiaries of 354,000 uh, people, which is uh, indirectly addresses 1.3 million people.
2: A Live Church, through our partnership. With the local church and Tear Fund, we have a great opportunity to make a difference. So please be encouraged to give generously.
0: Awesome. And what I love about that video is I believe that's how humanity was always created to be. Working in community, problem solving, improving uh, the standard of living. And while it may seem strange, it may not seem to fit our, our typical understanding of heaven. I believe that's a little glimpse of what heaven will be like as well. We're not going to have the same needs, obviously, but this idea of working together, innovating, creating in the, the light of who God is. Anyway, a little distraction there. But so we are called to provide solutions to people, to empower them and to equip them to, to live in this new kind of life that God offers. But I think this need to be a savior actually kind of speaks to a deeper problem. It speaks to this brokenness in our relationship with ourselves. Because it we can fall into this trap of our identity is based on trying to be someone's savior. We need to be needed by others. And I've I've been guilty of that in the past. And if you find yourself in that situation where Actually, you've, you have recognise I've tried too hard to be people's saviour without realising it, but I need that need to be needed. Let me just encourage you to bring it before God and to repent of it and just to talk it through with him. God, how, why is this? How have I come to this point? Also, well, what can I do differently? So we're called to identify the need, to then bring the little that we have to meet that need, providing solutions for people, equipping people, but ultimately pointing those people to a saviour. But if the story was to end there, it wouldn't be that interesting a story. If we see these 5,000 people come and a little boy brings his lunchbox and then maybe about four or five people get to have a little bite, that story would be pretty unimpressive. And the real miracle of this story is when Jesus takes what was offered to him and begins to multiply it so that thousands upon thousands of people are fed. And it's this multiplication that we are holding on to, that we are trusting in when it comes to make a difference offering. That we believe that as we bring the little that we have, God can do immensely more than we can imagine with it. That it's not just about what we can offer, it's not just about what we can bring, but it's partnering with God to see him take that a little amount and do a huge amount with it. We see a great testimony of this in the work that's been done by Tear Fund in Ethiopia through a guy named Desi. Some of you that uh, went out to Ethiopia, was it this year? Yeah. We'll we'll know of Desi, the avocado man. And uh, Desi was a a labourer in an avocado farm being paid absolute pittance. And uh, his church, along with Tear Fund, created one of these self-help groups, and he begrudgingly went... And kind of begrudgingly started saving a little bit of money each week. And what he found was after a couple of years, he'd saved up a kind of decent little piggy bank amount. And so he he took that money and he went to his avocado farm and bought a crate of avocados. And just started selling them on the market. And after he'd done, he'd made himself a tidy little profit. So he was like, I'm going to try that again and bought some more avocados. And after a while, he started being able to buy enough avocados that he could then send crates off with different people to different villages and, and pay them to sell the avocados for him. And now as we speak, he's got his own avocado farm, his own coffee farm, and employs lots and lots of people, paying them a decent wage. And see, what happened was that it started off with really just pittance. We're talking like pennies being saved each week. And God was able to, through this guy, take this tiny amount and change and transform a community with employment and and work and fresh life. This is the power of the abundant God that we live live for and that we serve. And so as you're praying and thinking about uh, next week's offering, this Make a Difference offering, Be thinking, be asking God, how much should I give? There's no expectation. There's no obligation here. This is between you and God. But really be thinking, how much should I bring? How much should I offer? And we encourage you to to be generous in whatever capacity that means for you. And also be praying with us as we pray over this offering that God will multiply it and do immensely more than we can ask thought or imagine. And as you go about your week, be thinking, what are the needs that I see in the community around me? How can I meet them? What can I bring the little that I have to offer? Again, pointing to a saviour and providing solutions and trusting that God will make a difference. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, ultimately, the reason we can talk about being generous, the reason we're here today is because we have a God that first gave to us that that gave his son to live and die and be resurrected to restore a relationship with us. And maybe you're here today and you've not had that relationship. If you were to look at the relationships we were talking about, your relationship with God would be pretty poor. And Maybe you've been hearing what we said and you've identified with some of that. Maybe some of the other relationships have been a bit broken or you're just loving this sense of a generous party where everyone's just having a great time maybe don't take that one too far but so we like to make opportunity every week for for people to know this god that we've been talking about and celebrating and so we have a prayer that we pray every week and what's going to happen is we're going to pray through this prayer all together because it's an important reminder for those of us that have prayed it before and if this is your first time of praying it then let me encourage you just to put your hand up when i mention it at the end And one of our team is going to come and speak to you and just talk to you a little bit more about what this means. But let's read this prayer together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. We pray you have a great day.